will please remain standing and at this time take out the sermon notes page where you will find Lord's Day 19 written out for you. Uh, You should see three questions on there, questions 50, 51, and 52. So I will read the questions for us, and then we will all read the answers together. So Christian, why the next words, and sits at the right hand of God? Christ ascended to heaven, there to show that he is head of his church, the one through whom the Father governs all things. How does this glory of Christ, our head, benefit us? First, through his Holy Spirit, he pours out gifts from heaven upon his members. Second, by his power, he defends us and preserves us from all enemies. How does Christ return to judge the living and the dead comfort you? In all distress and persecution, with uplifted head, Completely await the very judge who has already offered himself to the judgment of God in my place and remove the whole curse from me. Christ will cast all his enemies and mine into everlasting condemnation, but will take me and all his chosen ones to himself into the joy and glory of heaven. You may be seated. And now we will turn to our sermon text, which is Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Again, that's Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Pay careful attention, for this is the word of God. Long ago, and many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Let us now pray and ask for his help. Heavenly Father, we confess our dependence upon you today. Do you illuminate your word to us by the power of your Holy Spirit so that we might know your truth and love you and our neighbor more as a result? Bless us today with your gospel. Would you let Christ be proclaimed and seen as glorious in all of our hearts today? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a few years ago, uh, my wife and I went to a half-price bookstore. And after scouring the discount section, as good Midwesterners do, we then split up into our respective places of interest. I headed straight to the theology section, and my wife, who has far uh, more interest than me, covered pretty much the rest of the store. And while I was in the theology section, a lady came over to me and asked me for assistance to to reach a book on the top shelf. And so as I did it, I I couldn't help but notice that, that the book she wanted was about angels. 
And as I briefly looked at the cover, it appeared to me that this book was more New Age than it was biblical. And so I just casually struck a a conversation with this woman about angels. And she seemed so fascinated in the topic of angels. She said that she had read many accounts of angelic visitations, and she loved learning about these mystical creatures. What would you say to that woman in that moment? After thinking over it for a minute or two, I told her that I too had just read a book written by a person who, who knew a lot about angels. Now, I didn't tell her that that book was the book of Hebrews, but I went on. I said, the author of this book actually thought that people who were fascinated with angels were not spiritual enough. In fact, they were too worldly. And the reason is because in their fascination with angels, they are missing out on beholding the one who is even greater than the angels, the one whom the angels worship. And she looked at me a little startled, and she said, Who is this one whom the angels worship? Well, brothers and sisters, today we get to behold the answer to her question. Who is the one whom the angels worship? It is the one who sits at the right hand of God Almighty, exalted above the angels, head of the church, governing all things in heaven and on earth, and who will soon return with all his saints and his angels to judge the living and the dead. It is Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. And so today, we lift our eyes, even above the angels, to the throne. And we consider the only one who is worthy to sit above the angels and beside the Ancient of Days. Consider our Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we reflect upon Christ sitting upon the throne and his glorious return, uh, we will do that uh, under three points, which you can see on your outline. We will consider first beholding Christ's glory, second benefiting from Christ's glory, and third bolstered by Christ's coming glory. So let us uh, turn to our first point, beholding Christ's glory. In question 50 of the Catechism, it asks uh, what it means that Christ sits at the right hand of God. And the first part of the answer is that Christ ascended to heaven to show that he is the head of the church. Now we must ask, what does Christ sitting on the throne and him being our head, have to do with one another? Well, 
The answer to this question, in part, comes with understanding that word head. Now, if we were to time travel back into the kingdom of Israel under David's reign, and we went to the the town square and, and asked a group of Israelites, who is the head of Israel? Well, you might get a a small debate. You would probably get one of of three answers. One of the the village elders might say, well, the king of Israel, of course, is the head. For he leads us into battle and he governs all our affairs. But another village elder might chime in and say, "Well, well, hold on a second. Now, I love King David. But is not the high priest the head over Israel? For David cannot enter into the holies of holies but once a year. And David does not slaughter our sacrifices and make intercession for us. Israel is a nation about the worship of God. And that is the priest's jurisdiction. It's a compelling point. But still another Israelite might say, well, the king and the priest, they're both great. But who is it that anointed the king? Who is it that calls out the king's sins and even called out the sons of Eli's sins? It's right. It's the prophet, the man of God. When Israel goes astray, The prophet is God's mouthpiece. So surely the prophet is the head of Israel. And the reality of it is, all of these elders are are right. The head of Israel consists of the threefold office of prophet, priest, and king. These are the leaders of Israel. And such is the same with the spiritual Israel, with the church. But in Hebrews chapter 1, we see that our prophet is also our priest, and he is also our king. In verses 1 through 3, we see that Jesus is our prophet. And notice that Jesus is greater than the prophets of old. For their days of prophesying are over. But it is Jesus who gets the last word in these last days. Furthermore, the men of old spoke as mere prophets. But this one speaks as God's son. Well, this prophet he does not just speak God's word. But he is God's word. He is the one through whom God created the world. And in verse 3, he even upholds the universe by the word of his power. This is your prophet. But he is not just your prophet. He is also your priest. Look at verse 3. After making purification for sins, he sat down. 
Now, this is an amazing statement because this could not be written about any other priest. A priest's whole life was about making purification for sins. There was no after, for he'll be doing it again next year on the Day of Atonement. And between now and then, he'll probably make hundreds, if not even a thousand, sin offerings. These priests didn't get a say, it is finished. They did not get to sit down, for there was more work to do. But Jesus makes purification for sins once. He offers himself on the cross once. And he says, it is finished. God raises him from the dead. He ascends into heaven. And then he sits. It's done. Sin is atoned for. This priest's offering is sufficient. But he is not just our prophet and priest. He is also our king. Notice where he sits. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He sits on the throne. This is the heavenly throne. The place where the seraphim stand before it day and night saying, Holy, holy, holy. He sits there. The head of the church, prophet, priest, and king, sitting there, representing you. Brothers and sisters, if he is worthy enough to sit on that throne, don't you think this prophet's word of salvation can be trusted? If your priest is sitting on that throne, don't you think you can rest assured that his sacrifice is sufficient? If your king is ruling on that throne, can't you see that you have nothing to fear? Our catechism says that that this one who represents you in every way possible as prophet, priest, and king, as head of the church, he governs all things. See this in verse 2. He is appointed the heir over all things. Verse 3, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. This is amazing. Now, you can look around the pews right now and you can see that it's no secret our numbers are, are dwindling. But church, should you fear No, because Christ is on the throne. He rules all things. 
There might not be people sitting in our seats, but Christ is still sitting on his. Our numbers may have changed, but his seat, his authority, his power have not. He is not some kind-hearted father that wishes that that he could do more to help you out, but, but lacks the resources. Brothers and sisters, he is on the throne. He has all glory, all honor, all power and dominion. There is no need to fear, for your head is seated. In our catechism, it's so concerned that you not only understand that, that Christ sits on the throne, but it, but it wants you to experience those benefits of his sitting and ruling. So now we, we transition to our second point, benefiting from Christ's glory. And here we're asking the question, how does Christ's rule and glory benefit us? Or another way of asking it is, why is it better for us that Christ has gone to be with the Father, sitting at his right hand? Well, the first reason it is better for us that Christ is on the throne is because as the enthroned one, the one who has condemned sin in the flesh, defeated death, risen again, ascended into heaven, and now sits on the throne, he has won for himself rewards, spoils of war, the blessings of obedience to God's eternal covenant of redemption. And now that he has secured for himself these riches and blessings, He now shares them with us as gifts. And what are those gifts that Christ pours out on us? Well, there are so many, but I'll just focus on two this evening. The first gift is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we see this in John chapter 16, verse 7, when when Jesus said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus won for us the Holy Spirit. The one who hovered over the waters in Genesis the one who led the Israelites through the desert in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, the one who rushed upon David, empowering him for his great tasks, the one who carried along the prophets so that they might speak for God, the very glory cloud that that filled the temple and prevented the priest from entering into it, The very one who came in judgment upon Israel, leading Babylon to victory 
and even leaving the temple in Jerusalem. The one who overshadowed Mary. The one who descended upon Jesus like a dove and led him into the wilderness to be tempted. The very one whom Jesus performed all his miracles and through whom he offered himself on the cross. And the one who rose Jesus from the dead. He poured out that one upon us. This is incredible. Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. But the Holy Spirit, this is God in us. Oh, that we could spend the the remainder of our time thinking about the Holy Spirit, about God indwelling within us, about the great gift of Pentecost. But that's next week's Lord's Day. And so we will just have to be content with saying that, that because Christ is seated in heaven, we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. But there is another gift that Paul mentions in Ephesians 4. After Christ descended and then ascended back into heaven, he gave gifts to the church, namely gifts of the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now, I am not yet a pastor, but Lord willing, I will be one day. And I promise that the more you get to know me, the less attractive this gift will seem to you. The fact that Christ sits in heaven so that you can have people like me, well, that does not seem like a better trade. But in God's infinite wisdom, Jesus gave you and every other true church men, Pastor Danny, who are tasked with building you up in the most holy faith. They help you to see and to savor the gospel. And they protect you from being tossed to and fro from every wind of false doctrine. And yes, these men are imperfect. But in them, you see the gospel at work, sanctifying them. And yes, they are weak and they suffer pain and loss, sickness and heartache. But when they suffer, they suffer as believers in Christ, the very Christ who sits on the throne and who is coming again. And in their suffering, you too are emboldened in your faith. Ordained ministers are gifts from the enthroned Christ to you. But our catechism, it points out that that gifts aren't the only benefit we have from Christ's glory. But also, says, by his power, he defends us and preserves us from all enemies. Now, do you remember Jesus's words to his disciples in John 10? when he said, no one will snatch my sheep out of my hand. And do you remember the reason he gives for that? It's because, he said, my father 
is greater than all. And he will not let anyone snatch them away. Well, how much more true is this now that Jesus himself is great? Now that he himself is exalted, now that he himself has all power and authority, now that he himself is on the throne, not only is the Father great, but Jesus is great, and he will defend you. He will preserve you. You, O sheep of God, will not be snatched. From his hand. Well, do you see how Christ sitting in glory benefits you? Well, I must tell you that there is more comfort to be had. For Christ will not sit forever, but he will come again. And our catechism says that you should not fear his return, but you should actually be comforted by it. You should be bolstered by Christ's coming glory to judge the living and the dead. Why should his second coming comfort you? Well, Christ's return in judgment should comfort you Because the one who is coming to judge the world is the very one who was judged in your place to make you right with God. Christian, your judgment has already taken place in the judgment of Jesus Christ. If you find yourself fearing his return, because you're you're looking forward before you first look backward. You're skipping to the end of the story before you read the middle. The sacred cross makes the second coming good news. For you have nothing to fear. But it's more than simply not fearing for your life. Christ is coming to right all wrongs, to put an end to sin, to destroy the wicked, to wipe away every tear. Do you fear the world? Do you anxiously watch the news? Do you fear what this world will do to the church? to your children, to your grandchildren. O loved one, Christ is coming to cast the wicked into everlasting condemnation. Do not fear the world. Fear for the world. For they may have gained this whole evil world, but they have lost their soul. But you do not need to fear for yourself, for your verdict has been passed in the judgment of Christ. And when he comes, he will come to take you and all his saints to himself. 
you will enter into the joy and glory of heaven. Peter said that though you have not yet seen him, you love him. But how much more, O Christian, when you do see him, will you love him then? How much more will your joy be when you are in the presence of the one who has pleasures forevermore at his right hand? And so take comfort today in your prophet, priest, and king who sits on the throne and is coming again for his rule and his return benefit you because he represents you.